unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, great to be back with you after a brief hiatus. We are going to have our media spotlight guys on this episode. Adam Eaton and Eric Lopez will talk about all the aftermath of the NFL booth changes. Tom Brady to become an announcer once he retires. Drew Brees wasn't done, and we'll have all that and more in our media spotlight segment coming up with Adam and Eric. They are standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. Well, from the file of sometimes it's better to say nothing than to say something. So first we'll start with uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, Many, many, many allegations. Tries to defend himself as the new Cleveland Browns quarterback and uh, saying he's not guilty of assault and all that good stuff. But the way he went about it just did not look good. Sometimes it's better just to keep quiet. And, you know, you, you want to... Go by the old standard of innocent until proven guilty, but I also think of the other saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. So this guy's got a lot of baggage. (laughs) And then we have Phil Mickelson trying to defend his decision for LIV golf and wanting to play in the majors and all that good stuff and explaining why. And he just looked totally (laughs) just out of sorts, like, uh, you know, well, gee, you know, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. Just come out and say it, because that's what it really boils down to. But not a good look for Phil either, as he uh, tried to explain his way. And, and again, these things don't need explaining. You know, people can ask and do all this they want. You know, we all know why they're going over to the other tour. It's easy, easy money. Go figure. All right, time now for another Media Spotlight segment on Jeff Allen Sports Talk. It is my pleasure to welcome back my two gentlemen who take care of this kind of business. They are Eric Lopez and Adam Eaton. Gentlemen, welcome back. It's been a while. Like, anything going on? <laughs> it's just a few things. Yeah, what are we talking about today? Anything happening? Anything Anything new? There's certainly no football news, right? Well, we are going to have a continuation of what we talked about last time because, you know, uh, you know, NFL number one booths have uh, radically changed all but one. The you know, CBS is still intact with uh, Jim Dance and Tony Romo. But, uh, boy, the, the fallout from all that, you know, all the uh, announcements are official and the booths are in place. So uh, we thought we'd kind of talk about the aftermath and what the expectations are. So let's start with the uh, with the uh, group that started all this, which was, of course, uh, Troy Aikman first, and then his booth mate, Joe Buck, moving to ESPN and ABC for Monday Night Football. And uh, interesting thoughts here. You know, I think, you know, they will get a little bit of a bump. I mean, I typically don't believe people are tuning in to see who's calling the game. Most people are tuning in to watch the game. But... The broadcast crew, you know, they either add or detract from it, if you want to look at it from that aspect. So uh, what's your guys' thoughts first on, you know, you know, seeing, you know, the new the newly skinned uh, Monday Night Football, which, uh, you know, has gone through radical changes. Now they have a booth they can probably sell in with for a while. Uh, let's uh, talk about the uh, the Buck Aikman pairing on Monday Night Football. Adam? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise, right? Once we saw Aikman go, you heard the Buck rumors. And I think those two just make too much sense together to break up. Obviously, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, wrangling behind the scenes, I think, for Fox to let them go. And and while I agree with your premise that you don't turn into the game to watch or hear the announcers, I wonder if this gets them better games now, right? This gets them better games because they have a more marquee lineup. And so, in, in theory, you buy some eyeballs from that standpoint. If you can, you know, I think Monday Night Football has been bagged on for a while. That's the one thing they never solved. And I think Jimmy Pitaro and, and that crew said, hey, we've got a chance to solve this once and for all. We have a booth we can put in place for the next 10 years if we so choose, probably longer than that. Let's get let's get past all the Greasy's, Kornheiser's, uh, Jaworski's, Thysons that we've had here. <laughs> let's just get past all that now. Let's put, you know, the best booth we've had since Al Michaels and John Madden. Let's get them back in. Let's plug them in. And look, they're going to play on other platforms. They're going to be on all the Sports Center shows. They're going to be on the NFL Live stuff, right? They're going to be across the board. So I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's a good pairing to go together. I'm actually glad they're going together. I think it'd have been awkward to see them kind of break in um, from other partnerships. So I like that they kind of did Laverne and Shirley and, and held hands and went over there together. I think it's a good booth. I'll give you my official power rankings later on if you want those, but I think it's a really good booth and a good idea for Monday Night Football. Well, power rankings are new. Love it. Another program. We do top fives. We do top fives around here. Listen, I think we should pitch for the future. Like, just we should hand out awards for broadcasting. Like, I mean, uh, we, we I think we've got the credibility to do that. I mean, the Emmys don't know what they're doing. There still, you go. Um, it's still kind of surreal that it's bucking him. Like, I don't know if it's totally hit me yet that they're going to be doing Monday Night Football. They're not on Fox after twenty plus years. But Adam's right. I think. You know, how many times have we talked about, on um, you see on social media, I'm sure we've talked about in past episodes, what do you think about the Monday Night Crew? Boy, I don't know. You know, it's kind of simple. And then you got the Manning cast. All the focus was on the Manning cast last year in talk. And uh, I will acknowledge that as somebody I do uh, live, I have a partial living based on people liking my on-air world work uh, for play-by-play. So I kind of think, I would say, yeah, I think play-by-play is a little important, how it makes sure it's good quality. And I think Buck and Aikman will do that. There's no more questions. Like, yes, you're going to have your always your percentage of people that don't like Buck or Aikman for whatever reason. But that's a strong crew now to the point where I think there will be less people watching the Manning cast and more people watching the game. And I do think they're getting better games. Look at the opener. Russell Wilson going to Seattle. Hello. Like, that's a bang to start right there. And uh, I think they're going to be on ABC Week 2. They're going to get more games down the road. I mean – and I think Adams nails it. I think the NFL cares about who's in that booth. And they trust Buck and Aikman. So as a result, yeah, I agree with Adam. I think they're going to get better games because of who's in the booth. What I would like to see, though, is I would kind of maybe and maybe being on a different platform opens up the opportunity. But I would like to see more out of Troy Aikman because, you know, when you hear him on interview shows like Dan Patrick and, you know, he's much more opinionated. And I would like to hear more of that as opposed to, well, that's a good job by him. <laughs> well, I, I would, I'll take offense. And Adam, you're, you're the cowboy guy. So I'm curious what you thought. I thought last year in particular, but even the last couple of years, I think Troy, of all the analysts, the main guys, has been the most critical uh, as far as officiating and flags. Uh, he was critical about Jimmy Garoppolo in the NFC. I actually... I thought Troy Aikman was, had his best year, and I thought okay. he was the best analyst. I, I mean, I, Adam, you—I know you—you know—do do you agree with that? Because I thought he was I great do. last year from that standpoint. 
it did feel like there was a tipping point where the gloves came off for him. I don't know what that tipping point was. I don't know if it was something with his contract. I don't know if it was Tony Romo money. I don't know if it was his, you know, him losing his, his status symbol there in terms of top announcer, but there was a tipping point where the gloves came off for him and he was much more open. He got dust-ups with Jerry Jones, right? No former cowboy announcers get in dust-ups with Jerry Jones. And he was willing to at least mix it up a little bit. Now Jerry and him make up, I'm sure, but he was really the only one that, that you saw take Jerry on like that. So something clicked for him, whether it was feedback from his bosses, maybe, you know, uh, I think he talked openly at one point that he wasn't really sure where his place was. Maybe he was kind of lost. I think he was trying to be an announcer versus announcing, if that makes sense. And I think once whatever that switch was, I think that opened him up. But I do think he's also, I mean, media has changed, right? Hot takes are a thing these days. I think that's also helped him feel comfortable. But I agree. He's, he's definitely opened up and come out of his skin. There was a tipping point. I don't know what it was, but it's, it's an appreciable tipping point. Well, and I think his agent probably played a role in this because, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but prior to the last year or so, Troy didn't do a lot of interviews with podcasts and things like that. All of a sudden, he was on all over the place doing podcasts and very open. So I wonder if that was the agent telling him, hey, man, if you want to, you know, make Tony Romo money, this is what you got to do. You know what I mean? Be out there. Be more open. Be more, you know, and I think it worked. It worked. Yeah, he was always, I mean, he was a Tony Kornheiser uh, PTI guy for a long time, right? He, he always came out with Dan Patrick every now and again. I mean, let's, to be fair, if we're going to be transparent, he's shilling a new beer he has out called Eight, right? So he's been have out on the circuit yet, promoting. Have you, have you, have you ordered it's that? only in Texas. I actually would drink it. It seems interesting, but it's only in Texas. Um, he's shilling the new the new cerveza out there for everybody. So I do think that has helped him come out of his shell a little bit. Again, I don't know what the tipping point was. I don't know if it's one of those moments where he looked in the mirror and just said, hey, I've got to be different. I even heard him talk openly about how basically, and there's a famous, you know, feud between him and Skip Bayless going back to Bayless's days in Dallas. And he was basically like, that's all, that's all in the past. I don't, I don't even care about that anymore. And for a long time, Troy was very guarded about that subject. So he's, he's come to some sort of a a renaissance in his career. And I think it's at the right time because his bank account certainly looks renaissance (laughs) at this point. (laughs) That's a, that's an excellent point there for sure. And I have a buddy in Dallas who's trying to give me, Eight beer, so I'm trying oh. to. I'm oh. trying to give me a, re- I'm give me a review, to, Jeff. I need uh, a review. So I'm trying to try. I'm trying to track that down. So uh, interesting, you you brought up Aikman taking on Jerry Jones. Once upon a time, the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, Brad Sham, got on Jerry's bad side. He ended up doing Texas Rangers games for a couple of years before he had to <laughs> work his way back into the good graces. So there you go. Um, of course, you know Steve Levy. Uh, you know, not totally exiled from Monday Night Football. He gets to be on the B team. So good for him. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, he got a new contract. He's going to yep. work with Lewis Riddick. They're still going to get to do NFL games. Probably some of those ESPN Plus and secondary games. And oh, by the way, he's the host of the Stanley Cup final. So life's good for him. And he's been awesome throughout all this. He's been a great team guy. Um, I think he even joked on Twitter about Joe Buck. He's like, you know, he put the, the book because I have the Joe Buck book, you know, Lucky Bastard. And he's like, you de- you definitely are a lucky one. You know, work with the- it was He's been a really good sport about it. Yeah, exactly. she said, Joe, you're buying lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, at least- I think he, he's one of those, though. He's your typical ESPN, a good soldier, stepped in. I think he held the job admirably for a couple of years. Brian Greasy, I think, moved into coaching now. So he, yes. he'll be out of that booth. So it'll be Riddick and maybe, maybe somebody else. Orlovsky. Dan yeah, Orlovsky's coming be in, right? in there. Yeah. 
So it'll be a, a way to kind of reinvent and 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 I think he's been a good soldier. I'm actually watching SportsCenter as we're in, as we're you know doing this conversation and and uh, he was just on the screen on the NHL set. So I think Steve Levy is going to be just fine. And Lewis Riddick applies interviews for jobs all the time. He's going to get tapped on the shoulder at one point for a front office job. So we'll see how that secondary booth lays out. I think Orlovsky is that succession plan, right? Who I think is actually really good. I'm curious to see how he plays. He he, he does college and he's a good announcer. I have a hard time sort of buying him just because I know he's not studying the college game because he's on NFL Live on Friday and he's in the Florida State booth on Saturday. Like that just doesn't jive with me. But I think you keep him in the NFL. I think he's, he's got some interesting insight. I'm curious to see how he does. A couple of things. You know Dan Arlovsky's first game ever in the booth as an analyst was? That was uh, UCF and UConn. Correct. So you got to bring, bring your bell there. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that was correct, number one. Then number two, uh, real quick on Joe Buck. I saw his golf thing. It was kind of interesting. He did that golf thing with Michael Collins, the alternate broadcast for the PGA. I thought that was pretty interesting. I hope he does baseball at some point. In his, I know he's got some other projects he's going to do at ESPN and all that. But, man, and Jeff, you're a big baseball guy. I mean, I think Joe's Gray's baseball. I think he could help ESPN either on the radio side or even on the TV side to do some baseball. I could see him not doing it right away because there's that shadow and stuff. Carl Ravage is doing Sunday Night Baseball, although Ravage, I believe, is doing the College World Series this uh, starting this week. So I hope I see Joe Buck still do baseball at some point at ESPN. I would think that's bound to happen. I mean, you know, maybe maybe it's not this season, but uh, uh, but you know, I certainly say, you know, if you got if you got the uh, if you got the uh, the cannonball in your arsenal, use it, right? <laughs> it's, well, we're probably going to find out soon. All Star Games went less than a month. I mean, imagine if they're going to trot him out for anything, All Star Weekend, right? Home Run Derby. There's got to be a spot for him there. There's so much programming around that. I'd be curious to see if he makes an appearance in any small capacity during All Star Weekend. Un- unless Jeff, to Jeff's point, maybe Joe decides I want to just take a year off, you know, and just get ready for football. We'll find out, though. Yeah. You're right. That that if if he's going to make. It's either the All-Star Weekend or does he pop in for maybe postseason baseball? But I don't think that's this year. I think he's going to maybe focus on Monday Night Football and just knock that out for the first year. And then maybe he'll look at baseball after that. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, their move opened up things at Fox. So we uh, get to... Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson moving into the top slot. And, of course, Greg Olson already a lame duck because Tom Brady is lurking in the background, uh, having announced that he's going to join Fox once his playing career is over, whenever that will be. So uh, it'll be an interesting fact. So this is a team that's already been together. So they have cohesiveness to work with coming out of the gate. And, you know, you, you can't blame Greg Olson. You know, I mean, you know, he's got to take Somebody's got to do the spot while we wait for Brady. So he might as well do it and increase his stock. So uh, let's get your thoughts first on this, Eric. This is I am baffled at what Fox has done. And maybe you both can explain this to me. So. They don't keep Aikman because Aikman opted out of his contract and they just chose not to match what ESPN was going to pay him. Then they let Joe Buck out of his contract because Joe wants to work with Aikman. I get all that. They chose to, the narrative was, hey, you know, Fox is being responsible in the booth here. They're not going to overspend. They're going to start over. That's all we said at the time. <laughs> right. And then what do they do? They spent all this money on Tom Brady to be the analyst at some point. Maybe. Whatever. What? Like, why? I don't under. I still don't understand what happened here. What happened? Why did they decide? Yeah, we don't want to pay Troy this amount and Joe Buck this amount. 
on a Super Bowl year. Okay, that's my issue. It's one thing if this was after a Super Bowl, you want to start over. Okay, but you're doing this on a Super Bowl year. I don't get that. All right, whatever. That's my problem number one. All right. You decide to promote Kevin Burkhardt. No surprise there. That was quick. They took forever to announce Greg Olson would be the guy, which tells you they clearly aren't sold on him. Clearly, they were offering to others. And now you have this awkwardness. What if Greg Olson's great? What do you do when Tom Brady retires? What happens if the Bucks get eliminated before the Super Bowl? Is Tom Brady going to be the third man in the booth in the Super Bowl? <laughs> I really think there's a possibility that could happen. So Greg Olson's got this big shadow all of a sudden, and he's basically got disrespected by, yeah, we don't think you're the number one guy, but you're kind of the placeholder. I'm, I'm really baffled by what Fox has done. You, hopefully you two can explain this to me. Oh, I cannot, because uh, I, I have no insight either, Eric. I don't, I don't get it. A, that's a lot of money on Tom Brady, and you have no idea if he's going to be good at this, right? He certainly has opened up to the media. He seems more affable of late, but you have no idea if he's going to be good at any of these type of things, and that's a lot of money to bank on. My assumption, I guess this is just a guess, right? I have no inside knowledge here. Fox must have been going through the line of, like, can we get Peyton Manning? Can we get this guy? Can we get Sean Payton? Who's, who's interested? Who's available? and obviously kept striking out. And I think everybody else's booth was now taking form and they were getting headlines, right? I know we'll talk about the Amazon booth that formed, right? The ESPN booth was there. We know Romo and Nance are already kind of the, at the top echelon. So everybody's booth was being formed. I think Fox needed a way to make a splash. It's an interesting one because a couple of items. One, is Brady going to be a broadcaster? We've heard all along the rumors about he wants in an ownership. You know, he wants a front office gig. There were rumors that he was trying to orchestrate his way to Miami this past season as an owner and something along those lines. Is he ever going to step in that booth? Who knows? I like Kevin Burkhardt a lot. I feel bad for Greg Olson. I mean, Greg Olson is definitely got, he's got that placeholder of the year award because to your point, Eric, he could do a fantastic job and it's not going to matter. He can do a miserable job, and it's probably not going to matter. He's literally in a position of, of no win. And, I mean, hats off to him. I, I, he, he seems like a nice enough guy. I've heard him on a few different podcasts. He does. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely got a good personality. Um, but I think this booth's going to take some time to gel, even though they know each other on that big stage. And I think it's going to be, unfortunately, all the other booths are, are out there. But Brady over the shadow, I mean, you, can you I, that, that just seems like a, do the first a, a disaster. Game? Think about when they do the first Bucks game. How how – you know, oh, hey, Tom Brady's doing the game. Huh? We talked to him. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, what's going to happen here? Well, you know what? They they do. They have to joke about it the first time, right? You have to. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I hope for their yeah. sake. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, I feel like there's there's got to be a sense of humor about that or, or it's going to be awkward because Eric's right. There's going to be a bye week. There's going to be, uh, you know, a game, uh, a Monday. Uh, the, the Bucks are playing on a Monday or something and there's availability. They're in town. There's going to be something where Tom Brady is going to zoom in, you know, and, and be a part of that booth. And that's just going to be even more awkward. Um and maybe and we don't keep know if he's going to be good. Yeah, and like, that's it. Hey, I don't know if he's going to be good or if he'll ever step foot in a booth. He has so many other options available to him. And this is the interesting thing about you think about super, super, superstar players. You don't see a lot of them in the last, you know, half century or so going into booths, right? You see them go. Michael Jordan went to ownership. LeBron's talking ownership. Beckham goes to ownership. You don't see them looking around the route of like, hey, when can I catch that 710 to Green Bay for the Sunday nighter? That's not what the 
the upper echelon are doing. So I'm surprised that as one of the top five, 10 players of all time, he's going to take that, you know, that 410 flight out to make sure he's there for the Titans game. That's just, I'm, I'm not convinced that's happening yet. Yeah, you know, if Brady's on the number one game, they might say, they might even put a microphone on during the game, right? Right. <laughs> well, who knows? Like they're paying him so much. I, I will say this. I think Fox doesn't care what he does. I think they just want him under the Fox umbrella as a spokesman for the That's, network, yeah. right? But again, you've put this awkward situation because this happened before in the Super Bowl. Joe Theismann was an active player, and they put him in the booth for the Dolphins-Niners Super Bowl as a third guy because they didn't like O.J. Simpson uh, as the third guy. And Well, little did they know they were like foreshadowing things. But anyway, <laughs> um, I really do believe, and maybe I'm crazy, but I think they're going to put Brady in the booth in the Super Bowl if he's not actually playing in it. And how awkward is that going to be? Hey, great, great job this year. Here's Tom. Like, yeah. what? Uh, and then if yeah. you're Olsen, are you checking? The, are you asking Tom, hey, are you retiring? Are, are you good? Like, what? you know, like now you're wondering, is this guy going to retire and take my job this year or next year or when? What the yeah. heck? <laughs> well, you know, and, and so he's got the placeholder gig. Now, you, you got to be thinking maybe Greg Olsen's got maybe in the back of his mind. Well, if I do great at this, maybe I can go to NBC when they move Collinsworth out. You know, that might be something he's thinking. Well, that's about. how you have to spin it if you're Greg. Is you just you use this as fuel. You do a great job where everybody's on your side, and now you have leverage, and you move on to either NBC, like you said, because uh, we'll get to them in a minute. Um, I think that's a good spot. Uh, I could see him landing also. Like for example, he could be like a number two at CBS or whatever. You know, he'll have to create opportunities for him. Uh, whatever that could be and because well you don't have a choice but look I think he's he, I'm just to me the thing I feel bad for him look he's fine he's gonna be like we would trade positions with him we wish we were treated this badly in our right like in that situation but the fact they took forever to even name him tells you they don't feel he's a number one guy yeah that's uh very telling for sure and uh let's talk about NBC so uh we've Probably, you know, the longest wait for uh, an announcer to take over the number one job, Mike Tirico, finally is the number one booth mate with Chris Collinsworth. Now, they've already worked together because he's done a handful of games over the last few seasons. So this is not an unfamiliar thing. Probably has more impact on their pregame show now because Maria Taylor moves into that slot for uh, Football Night in America. And we'll talk about that as well. But, uh, you know, what do we expect that we don't expect from you know, Collinsworth and Tarico, because we kind of know we we kind of know they're pretty good at working together. Yeah, for me, file this one under the the sun is hot and water's wet, right? We we knew this was coming for a long time. We know these these two have a rapport together. We know, you know, that they know how to call games. They're both professionals. Tarico did Monday Night Football for a long time. Obviously, Collinsworth has been in the booth for a long time. So I think you're going to get a steady broadcast. You know what you're going to get there. Um, it's not a surprising move. You know, this is this is what was ordained, right? This was the whole concept when you brought Trico in years ago to succession plan at Al Michaels. I think you brought up a point earlier is, is uh, to, the you know what does Collinsworth's succession plan look like? How long will this two you know, this two person booth be together? That's probably the the most injury here. Other than that, I mean, again, sun is hot, water is wet, and Tarico and Collinsworth called games. I think it's what we all expected. Three things here. First of all, so Al Michaels will have a uh, Emeritus title on NBC. He will still get to do a playoff game for NBC. So that's kind of weird. Like, well, I'm not going to get in because we've talk, discussed that, how we think Al should still do the games and stuff like that. We get it. Was there anybody that benefited the most from Drew Brees' 
downfall from that one playoff game than Chris Collinsworth? Because he got himself an extension because of that. Like, <laughs> it's clear by Drew Brees leaving NBC that he was promised that he would succeed Chris Collinsworth. And I think he was supposed to succeed him this year. I think they were ready to let Collinsworth and Al go. But when they saw that Breeze was not good, they're like, we got to keep Chris. And Chris got himself a nice extension, a big deal. So that's part number two. And then the third part, maybe the surprise here, Melissa Stark gets to do <laughs> Sideline beats Catherine Tappen for that gig. Who saw that coming? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, she's obviously been doing money, uh, stuff on NFL Network for a while, but yeah, certainly yeah, she had taken back. a step back. But it, it is interesting for sure. Yeah. Well, I think the breeze, I mean, the, I know we have breeze on the rundown at some point, right? I think the breeze thing is fascinating because you, to your point, Eric, that, that one game, I mean, on the scale of on the scale of great to Witten, I mean, breeze was was certainly on that other side, right? <laughs> and, and so, and, and maybe that was NBC saying, whoa, we've seen enough to know we've seen enough. He did, he did Notre Dame games too. I got to imagine they watched that, but maybe did they just assume that, you know, maybe bigger stage, better stage. I think that whole thing is fascinating because they went from, hey, you know, Drew's going to step away to, hey, Drew's done with NBC to, hey, Drew says he's coming back. That whole Drew Brees phenomenon has been interesting. Even former NFL guys were out there saying that Drew isn't as liked as he thinks he is. Uh, so I, I think there's a... Whoa, I didn't hear a, that. Yeah, I know. Woo. Spoiler alert. Um, there's a 30 for 30 to be had at some point about this one, but um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll research while I'm not talking. Somebody said, there's a quote on there that uh, that, that Brees may not be as liked as he thought he was. So again, on the scale of, of great to Witten, I mean, he's certainly on that other side, but man, they saw enough in that one game to give him the hook in a hurry, you know? Which is also kind of interesting because, you know, uh, it's the same thing with, uh, with what Brady might be, you know? I mean, is, is Brady going to be Tony Romo or is he going to be Joe Montana? You know, I mean, uh, you know, Joe Montana was a great player, but he was ter terrible in the booth. Roger Staubach, who I wanted to be so, I wanted him so badly to be great back in the day, was not good in the booth. So, you know, it's a, I would say it's probably smart NBC cut bait early because, you, you know, look what ESPN took for running a whole season of Witten. <laughs> So no, to be right an update, that. that was LeVar Arrington with that quote, um, that he was uh, maybe not not as popular as he thinks he is, LeVar Arrington. So sources, I don't know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Adam's got him. The Drew Brees <laughs> replacement, by the way, is fascinating, too. Like, that one is... Uh... Yeah, more okay. cowboys, more cowboy well, love. Well, that, I know, Adam, you well, must be thrilled well, to hear Jason Garrett. Yeah, you know, this is interesting um, because... Having watched Jason Prescott, Jason Garrett press conferences over the years, it's all about the process. It's all about the process. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not seeing what they see as far as him being a broadcaster. I've caught some of his USFL action. It's average at best. Yeah, he's done a decent job on a few USFL breaking down a coverage, right? Like, hey, you saw the safety roll back. There's the, you know, there's the window. Like, he's done some of the X's and O's pretty well, which you would hope he could do. Uh, he didn't always do that with the house, but luckily he could do it in the booth. <laughs> uh, this is fascinating because you wouldn't think he has the personality. So do I have that table right? It's Maria Taylor. It's now Jason Garrett. It's now... Rodney Harrison, is he back in the studio? Possibly. Is he still on the road? That, that's possibly. Chris, Chris Sims, Sims is still yeah. lurking in that yeah. side booth. Mike, uh, you know, got Mike, Tony Mike Dungy over here someplace. Tony Dungy. So your 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 table is Maria Taylor, who great host, you know, up and comer. 
Tony Dungy, pretty vanilla in his commentary. Typically doesn't go after too many guys. And then Jason Garrett, who's just pretty blah in his commentary. And then Chris Sims, who is all over the place. So you're, you're literally have got both ends of that spectrum. Throw in a crazy Mike Florio every now and again. And I don't know what's happening every every Sunday at 7 p.m. when that thing kicks off. But that seems like a, where's the where's the juice in, in that table? I don't I don't see it. Yeah, you know, and and NBC, you know, for years struggled with Football Night in America trying to find its footing, you know, from from Costas to teaming up Olbermann and Patrick. And they went through, a, a, a you know, Tiki Barber. They went through a ton of people. And then they got some stability, you know, with with, uh, with, with Dan and Tony and Rodney. Yep. And, and it held it held fort. And then Tariko slid right into there. And that was pretty seamless. Now they're back in disarray as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I've learned something. If I play, if I'm a quarterback or I just have Dallas Cowboys on my resume, I'm getting an NFL gig. Like, what, guys, we missed, we blew the opportunity. Like, that's, we, that's what we should have done. I mean, we should have just. I tried to be a Cowboy player. <laughs> it wasn't for my <laughs> It was mostly lack of no skill. <laughs> See, Adam, you made the mistake. When you and Mike came up with the show Sons of UCF, it should have been Sons of the Dallas Cowboys because you'd be in the yeah. NFL right now on TV. Ooh. Yeah, it's a regret. It certainly is a, it's a deep regret. But, so, but is this just NBC's thing, though, right? Because it seems like they go after the you know, the relatively, you know, mediocre to upper level player who's just coming out of the booth who you think is going to be insightful. Tiki Barber. I think they thought Rodney Harrison was that guy. And they settle on these guys. And after a few years, it's there. Now they're, they're moving them around. They don't ever seem to go after the big bombastic like would a Rex Ryan work on that set, right? If you had Rex Ryan on that set, somebody's going to be loud and opinionated. It seems like that's just not what NBC wants. And I don't know who's tuning in for Tony Dungy, Jason Garrett talk. I just, I don't know. I love Tony Dungy as a person. He seems like a really, really nice person. Jason Garrett, again, a good soldier for many years in Dallas, not not necessarily the best coach, got run out of New York and as an offensive coordinator, pretty short order. Who's tuning in for that inside between Dungy and, and Garrett? I don't, I don't know. The answer is no, we're nobody because we're all tuning into the, the we're, we're watching the end of the 425 games. That's the answer. <laughs> there's the, yeah, there is that. That's, maybe that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just uh, cut our losses. I guess maybe that's the part of it. So then uh, obviously the last booth we'll, we'll talk about before we get to Adam's power rankings. Um, it's big. This is it's big. big. I don't know. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay yeah. Tuned. I know. I, I don't have a drum. I don't have a drumstick to, to work with uh, for the drum roll, but uh, uh Amazon. So, you know, we get uh, Thursday Football exclusively streaming. Uh, and it's Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. So we know Herbstreet's done a little bit in NFL with his college partner, Chris Fowler, uh, as they've done the opening second Monday Night Football game in the last couple of years. And it, by, by all accounts, got really good reviews because they, they're a great booth and they translated well to the NFL game. So now we got the pairing of Herb Street, who is a, a, a king of his craft, and Al Michaels is a king of his craft. So it'll be interesting to see how that mix uh, works out. What's your thoughts, Eric? It's, uh, it's like an experiment. And so, and I'm kind of curious what Al thinks, because I think it's pretty well known now that Al wanted Troy Aikman. <clears throat> Didn't get him. I think Al wanted that Monday night booth, to be honest, because remember, he didn't announce that Amazon thing. It took forever. And I think he was kind of waiting to see. I don't think he saw Joe Buck going to uh, Monday Night Football when he saw Troy Aikman going there. So now it's like, all right, I'll stay here. I think he, there was rumors that they, they reached out to Sean McVay and all this. So they set on Herb Street. So I want to know how that process went. Who pushed, who told out, hey, Al, we're going to go with Kurt Herb Street. You're going to love him. Like, is Al calling Chris Fowler for like, hey, what's the, what's the word? Like, how did that come about? 
I'm intrigued, though. I got to be honest with you. I'm going to tune in because I'm very intrigued. I think it's a lot better than what baseball did with Apple, which was a it's been a complete like ugh, debacle uh, broadcast. To me, I'm intrigued because I think Herb Street's very good, uh, great in college football. He's done well in the NFL. I'm curious how these two will work together. Um, so I'm intrigued by it. I, I'm intrigued by it. I don't remember who's the sideline. Did they uh, pick the sideline yet? Uh, I know they got Carissa Thompson as the host for Amazon. And then they got a bunch of former players all of a sudden. I, I, Richard Sher- I saw Richard Sherman Richard just signed Sherman, on to, Tony to be in Gonzalez. the pregame. Yeah. Speaking of vanilla, Tony Gonzalez. Um, <laughs> but I am intrigued by Herb Street and Al and how they're going to work together. I'm really intrigued. I'm intrigued how Herb Street's going to handle the load doing Thursday night NFL and then college game day and then the Saturday night football game with Fowler. He, that's a busy plate for Kurt Herbstreit. I don't like it for one specific reason, and it's what Eric just said. Kirk Herbstreit, to me, is the voice of college football. I don't want him getting good at the NFL and leaving college football, right? That's that's a selfish play on my part. I, I need my Kirk Herbstreit Saturday night, 8 p.m. in the booth with Chris Fowler. I know that's the game I'm going to watch. I need him on college game day, right? That uh, you know that 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 that's an iconic set. That's an iconic show. I don't need him getting good at NFL and then all of a sudden getting overture some some of these other networks when Tom Brady says, "Hey, I'm not going to come to the booth." I don't need Fox calling him and taking him off my college football because that's where I need my Kirk Herbstreit. So that's the one reason I don't like it. Second reason is I think what Eric said. I think this was an opportunity to be a little bit innovative, a little bit creative with what you do with the booth. I feel like Al Michaels just isn't, it's almost like watching your grandfather try to work an iPhone 13. Like you just, it's just not right. <laughs> Give him the flip phone and let him use his phone and we're fine. I feel like we're going to give Al Michael all these toys. There's going to be all this new graphics, new technology. And I feel like it's going to be like, is that really where Al is at? I think this is an experimental type of, of you know, uh, of endeavor. I just feel like Al's above that from that standpoint, right? That's where you bring in somebody, a younging, a Joe Davis or whatever, and you work the kinks out, you have some fun with it. I feel like the Al's miscast. There. I think somebody said it earlier, this is musical chairs and Al got caught with the last chair. And the last chair I said Amazon and it was like, well, there's money involved. Eh, I don't want to leave the booth. Eh, what the hell am I? Like, eh. And I'm sure he knows Kirk. And to be fair to Kirk, you know, I'm not trying to compare legends here, but Kirk worked with Brent Musburger for a long time. He, I think he understands that dynamic, understands how that works out. I think they'll be fine together. But I think this is one of those where Al got caught, you know, musical chair style. That's the last chair standing. And he was like, well, I don't want to walk away. So let me take this on. I think he's selling it in his mind of I get the weekend off. I can play golf, do my game Thursday, fly out. I'm on the golf course Friday by, you know, by noon. You know, my, I'm a mistake every night for dinner. Life is good for Al Michaels. But. I don't like it because I don't want Herbstreit getting good at this and him leaving college. And it just feels like Al, you know, Al shouldn't have an iPhone 13 trying to figure it out on the fly. <laughs> I, uh, by the way, let's not feel bad for Al. He got, he's getting good paid well. Fair. No, to fair. Do that. Like, let's, good let's problems not, to have. Yes, yes. He's got, he's going to have nice expensive dinners for a while here. And he still wants to go. I think everybody, I think NBC, everybody just assumed he would retire and go quietly after the LA Super Bowl. And he's like, no, I still want to keep doing this. I don't think you have to worry about Herbstreit leaving college. He said on interviews, he's always a college first guy. What I do think will happen, and here's my bold prediction, this might be something you have to play back on the tape, Jeff, in about a year or two years from now. I think Herbstreit will leave the college game day set when Lee Corso leaves the set. I think he'll just focus on being a broadcaster at that point. I think that's what this is set up to because he's going to have to give up. That's an insane schedule. Now, in Herb Street's defense, by doing this, I think he's making pretty good money as well. Like, I think that was the part of the goal here. But I think what he'll do is 
he will give up game day like Fowler did. Remember Fowler in his first year did hosted game day and did play by play. Yep. And then he gave up game day to Reese. I think we're set up here where I think Herb Street's waiting. The only reason I, in my opinion, that Herb Street still does game day is because Corso still does it. Oh, I, I would, I would, I would bet he probably asked Lee, "Are you doing this? Are you doing it again this year?" I would always uh, bet that happened. Agreed. I think the day that Lee's done with the show, I think Kurt's going to be done with the show too. Very interesting. And of course, uh, Adam, your iPhone 13 reference hits close to home. Guess who's uh, go leaving leaving the podcast later on? To go up his mom with his phone with her phone. Wow! <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's the thing. I might. My God, love my 89 year old grandmother. I'm like, look, it's a lot easier to use. Like the buttons are there, and she just won't do it. Flip phone all day. So um, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's a phenomenon. <laughs> it's it totally. It totally is. So, um, all right. So. Let's get the power rankings, Adam. All right, here we go. Here we go. Number five, number five booth, Burkhardt Olsen. I think while they're solid, they're good. I think when you think about the other names on this list, I, I can't put them above anybody else. I think they're going to be good. I just don't think they're, they rise above that. So they're, they're in my five spot. There's a lame duck element I think will be interesting. Um, so they're five. Number four, I got Michaels and Herb Street. For a couple of reasons. One, I think the chemistry is going to have to take some time to form together. Two, I think this is an entirely new broadcast in general. I know that a lot of the NBC folks are going over to help Amazon with the broadcast, but it's a whole new thing. It's streaming. I think there's a lot of you know, a lot of little quirks, a lot of bugs that may need to be worked out through this process. So I don't know how smooth it'll be in year one. So I'm going to go four, Michaels and Herbie. Three. Tariko and Collinsworth. Professional booth. You know what you're going to get, but that's really it. Professional booth. You know what you're going to get. Number two. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> two. Oh, what an intro. <laughs> Nance and Romo. Nance and Romo go two for me. Buck and Aikman go one. I think they have a better chemistry. I think the Monday night booth will allow them to open up a little bit. I think you'll see a little bit more free-flowing conversation. I think you'll see them pre and post game doing stuff as well. That'll be entertaining. I like I like Buck's personality as a play-by-play guy. I think of all the play-by-play guys, he's not you know he's not shy about making fun of himself. He'll crack the joke. You know you mentioned it earlier, right? Jokes will, will take place about him taking Levy off set, right? He's just he's that self-deprecating i think he brings that and i think the the new you know midlife crisis troy aikman is is much better than the previous version so i'm gonna go buck and aikman one uh romo nance two i know that's maybe that's hot take i don't know but i think buck and aikman take the top spot eric you agree with those number rankings i kind of do i mean i might go al and herb street over Tariko and collinsworth but that's only because i'm biased i'm a big al fan and a big herb street fan so i'm kind of intrigued but I understand where you're coming from in that ranking. I think he's right. I think Buck Aikman is the top team. I'm a big Romo fan, but I think if we're honest, he didn't have a great playoffs. And that Bengals game in particular, he was not on top of things. I think, Tony, I'm a little worried about Romo in that. Is he going to get better or is he just going to kind of play the hits You know, as we move forward? I'm concerned about that. Because uh, if he doesn't, like, if he just decides to play the hits, I mean, maybe Dak Prescott will replace him in a few years and just looks good. <laughs> but I do agree. I think Buck Aikman is the best team right now. And they play, I mean, it makes sense. They've been there together for a couple decades. I think Buck, from an NFL standpoint, is on top of his game. I think Aikman's at the top of his game. Um, I think they're going to bring some life to that Monday night booth, and it's going to be pretty exciting. And I think it's going to be weird, though, because we're like, yeah. why aren't they doing Because I agree. I have so many questions on Burkhardt 
and Olsen. That's going to take some time to figure out. And I just feel like Tom Brady could pop in at anywhere. It's like a wrestler. He's just going to pop in and interfere at any moment. <laughs> well, A, I think Dak may make more money in the booth. But B, I think the Romo phenomenon is as follows. His first year, he became known for the premonition of the play call. He was telling you the play before it happened. And he's really backed off that. I heard an interview, I think it was Nate Burleson who was on with Levitar probably about four months ago. It said something to the effect of at, at some point, you know, that's got to stop a little bit, right? Everyone can predict plays. Everyone can tell you a running play. I think Romo set the bar so high because he was the first one telling you jet scoop to the left. And then it happened. And then oh, we're going to do a little pitch shot to the right. And then it happened. And then he stops doing that as much. And I think people look at it and go, well, he's not as good anymore. Well, he doesn't know anymore. He's not studying as much anymore. I think he set the bar so high in year one. And he's gotten away from that play call premonition, which was kind of his shtick, right? His thing. And now it's just loud noises and oohs and ahs and all that stuff. And, you know, the substance has to come back a little bit, uh, I think. And I think fans saw that substance. He's taking a step back. Can he bring that back? And I think the argument that people said in his first year, well, you know, tell me if he could still do this after a few years away from the game. You know, that's uh, that was always what people that were anti-Robo would no, always bring right. up. But, and, well, and the, that AFC title game he did in New England and Kansas City was an iconic performance. Like people were talking like they were we were all blown away. Right. Like, yeah, it was a great game. But did you see how he like he broke down? That game was incredible. I think it came too easy for him. And you can be sometimes a little too satisfied with him. So I'm going to be I'm really intrigued, uh, interested to see how he comes out this year. Does he do you sense something different, a little tweak? Or is he just playing the hits and trying to, you know, be a more of a character uh, type. Um, I hope not, because I really do enjoy him and Nats. I hope not. But, yeah, you would this, will be, this will be the this will be the tell, right? Because every year you're out of the league is one year you're removed from information, right? So he doesn't know the play college as well as he did three years ago, because maybe they're new. Doesn't know the players as well as because these are new guys, right? So every year you're removed, I think your research and your preparation has to be that much better. I suspect in year one he rolled out of bed, got into the booth, I was like, oh, that's gonna be a QB waggle to the right, because he knew the play caller, he knew the quarterback, he knew the line, he knew the formation, right? Three years removed. Moved, he doesn't know all these guys anymore. So if you're not putting the preparation in, then that's where that changes. So I think this is kind of what I don't want to say make or break here. I'm not all, I don't want to do UCF Mike hot seat situation, <laughs> but I, I'm curious to see how how he adjusts to this season. Does he take the preparation better? Because every year you're removed from the game, you know, things change a little bit. Some of their greater ones, Aikman's found a way to keep up and keep himself relevant. Collinsworth seems to do that as well. Can can Romo rise to that level? I think we'll we'll find that. I think we're all essentially curious yeah. to figure out if he can well, do and I think and I think Nance has to push him too. I I I think play by play guys can play a role sure. in that too in pushing him. I think Buck pushes Aikman. I think Part of the Buckman-Aikman thing is they both are friends for over 20 years that I think they're comfortable in what the other guy is going to do and say and how they could push each other. And I think they know, hey, I've he's got my back. Like, remember the infamous, what was it, the Philly-Tampa game where Troy Aikman made the snarky comment about, oh, yeah, they get the Dallas. What was it? He got the Dallas. He was mad because CBS got the Dallas-San yeah. Francisco game and Buck yeah. had to kind of I – mean, it was great. And I think, I think Nance has to push him too. Yeah. And and you would hate to see Romo become the cartoon version of himself, right? Uh, by by playing the hits and, and doing that kind of thing, you know, because, you know, John Madden was a character, but he always brought the substance as well. So, you know, that's a, that's a hard combination to pull off. And I think Romo can do it. I think the one thing and, and people have crit- been critical about this, and I think it's fair. Uh, when a game isn't going the way he thought it would go. Like, I don't think the Cincinnati-KC game thought went the way he thought it goes. That's when he was flushed. He doesn't adapt to the game, right? Like, I feel like 
Like the Chiefs-Bills game, hey, it was exciting, it's back and forth. This is great, you know. But I don't think he adapts if the game is like a 13-10 to 10 game. I, I think that's the next step for him. I think it's a, adapting. Hey, I wasn't expecting this. Why is that? You know what I mean? I think he needs to adapt to the game if it's not going the way he thought it was. All right, so we have covered all the ground on football boosts from east to west and north and south. I think this south. Adam Power rankings thing should become like a regular thing. Yeah, you know, I think I think we're onto something here. Bring yeah. some music. I'm familiar from with show, top Adam. fives. Yeah, I'm familiar yeah, with some top music. fives. Yep, I got yep. you. <laughs> it's all good. Producing on the fly. It all it's always a good thing. Um, all right, so let's uh, switch some gears and uh, we're going to talk about the women's college world series. And uh, I know this is a uh, near and dear to Elo's heart for sure. Uh, um, as the voice of UCF softball. Uh, so let's uh, kind of break this down a little bit. And and I have an interesting take here. Um, and, and, and Eric, since you're very immersed in the sport, I'm interested to hear what you think. So you have Michelle Smith, Jessica Mendoza, and then you have Beth Mowens. And I'm kind of like that on Beth Mowens, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I, I think she's talented enough her style just seems so unnatural to me. Uh, a little pukey. Um, I don't know. It it just kind of it just kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way uh, as, as far as that goes. So, I wanted to get your thought because I think you know you know Kevin Brown was doing some of the games. I, I thought he did excellent uh, as far as far as that goes. So, Eli, when did you take first shot at that? First of all, what a historic moment here, Jeff Fallon with a hot take on softball broadcast booth. <laughs> this is what a historic moment here. Um, I'm a fanboy. I gotta tell you. <laughs> I, well, you know, here's the thing. I gotta tell you, a lot of softball fans agree with you. They, the popular. First of all, Amanda Scarborough to me is the best analyst in the sport. She's the marquee analyst. But Michelle Smith has been there, done that forever. Jessica Mendoza has done it for a minute. They've done it for like 15 years together. But there are people in softball that feel like, you know, maybe it's time for a new voice. A lot of people love the Adam Amin amanda scarborough crew i don't know if you remember that yep. but that was like super and then adam leaves to go to fox kevin brown replaces her and this year they got to do the evening session at the world series whereas the other the a group got to do the afternoon there's some i i i agree with you i think scarborough needs to be your number one analyst she's the star of the sport she she's the, to me the best analyst i tweeted this out if you're ever going to give an, a sports Emmy nomination to somebody in softball nationally, it should be Amanda Scarborough. I think she does a great job analyzing him for the for the diehards, but also for the casual fan. And I think Kevin Brown does great work. They, they're a really good combo. The thing is, though, in softball, man, there there's that loyalty thing. It's, it's to that to to some extent, it's in all sports broadcast, but in softball especially, I can tell you, it's tough to crack over there. And like everybody's got their spot. Mowins has been there doing softball like forever. He's like their historian. I just think that crew, they've done it for so long. Mendoza pops in during the postseason. I do wonder how long that continues. I think Scarborough needs, but the problem is there's no pressure to make change. It's not like the other sports where, hey, if I'm not happy, if I'm a number two in this network, I can go to another network. ESPN has all the softball. So like, if you're an Amanda Scarborough type, what are you going to do? Go to the Big Ten Network? I mean, you, you can't. Uh, and I'm not saying that she's not happy. I think she's happy with doing her stuff. But I agree with you, Jeff. Uh, I would tweak the broadcast booth for the World Series. I think Scarborough would be my number one analyst. And I, I wouldn't be against Kevin Brown doing it. 
and then uh, moving there. And I actually have always wanted to hear Scarborough and Mendoza together, but they've never worked a game together, which I, I don't understand that. So I agree with you, Jeff. I'm, I'm blown away. Of course, my, my my first choice to do that would be Eric Lopez as well, the play-by-play voice of the college, with his college world series. So. Well, I'm bit, uh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, fit, uh, I enjoy it. I wouldn't mind being in the postseason run uh, a tablet. I mean, I just got to get to the uh, – I got to get to the rotation first for the national ESPN. Right yeah. now I'm doing the uh, ESPN plus UCF. I got to get to the national. Got to get you to the regional, you know. Got to get yeah, myself yeah, to yeah. the regional national because yeah. that was a hot topic uh, during the regionals because yeah. I got my phone was blowing up. Why aren't you doing these games? <laughs> and it was a national because I had to explain, which is kind of weird for me to explain. And everybody's like, well, you're better than them. I'm like, well, thanks. That, that's not really going <laughs> to. I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> I, I don't make decisions on that. That's above our it is above UCF and above our. Uh, Decision making on that one. Adam, okay. your thoughts? Yeah, first, let me start with this. Let me start with this. Let me give a kudos to Eric Lopez because I, I will. I will tell you right now, this is a topic that probably last year, two years ago, I would ha- I would literally be like, hey, I'll, I'll pick me up after this one's done. I would have no context on it, but I think because of knowing Eric and knowing how passionate he is about this sport, and obviously our our association with UCF and the success they've had, I've watched more softball in the last two years than I probably watched in my entire life combined, and so I've had an opportunity now to understand these things. A lot of this is because of what Elo does, how passionate he is and how much of a a good steward he is for UCF. So I appreciate Eric for at least putting this forefront, at least from from me from a sports perspective. Here was my take on this whole thing. And maybe Eric can can answer this question for me. How often do those three work together before the College World Series? You're talking about Mendoza, Smith, and Mallins. They literally start at the Super Regionals. And then do the – because remember, Mendoza is doing baseball. She's doing the Dodgers. She's doing the ESPN stuff. So they haven't done I – mean, now, they did do this year. They, they, they created this thing called Throwdown Thursday uh, where they put a marquee game on Thursday nights in April. It's kind of – they're trying to – it's kind of like their Monday night football. And so Mendoza did a couple of those games with them. So they did a couple of regular season games, and then they did the postseason. But basically, it's kind of like Jim Nance in college basketball now where, hey, I'm going to hop in at the end. Uh, you know, and some people like it. Some don't. I, again, I think Scarborough is the main analyst uh, on that. But the bigger story is the TV numbers continue to be big uh, for that sport. Nationally, locally, like, Adam, you you got a spike, I know, from Suns with softball's postseason run. I got a spike at Banneret and in the circle. I saw the numbers we were broadcasting. It's pretty wild that softball has – and it got national mainstream coverage. It was on PTI in the main block. Who would have thought that Stephen A. Smith even broke it down on first take, which was bizarre. Uh, you know, it was by, by his standards. You know, it was fine. Okay. You know, two minutes. He didn't go crazy. But softball kind of entered the mainstream media a little bit this year, uh, which kind of blew me away. Somebody who's covered a sport for like 15 years now. Well, I think the analogy you made about about Nance is exactly what I was thinking. It, it felt like that booth was unnatural at times. Like they were, you know, they didn't know each other's cues, idiosyncrasies, their rhythm, when one was, was going to talk, when one was going to start talking. It felt like there were some of those just you don't know each other kind of gaps that you do sometimes see in the NCAA tournament. And I guess that, that's my, one of my bigger gripes. I know you have College World Series baseball on here as well, is I think you, you – 
you know, the local announcers, guys like Eric and, and, and people across the country know their teams inside and out, know their craft so well. Yet in the big games, we bring in announcers who feel disconnected from the action. And that's kind of how I felt a lot of times about that booth. As I felt like in Beth Mounds, it essentially was the same. I felt the same as you, Jeff. I felt like she was more the target of it. It felt disconnected from the action. It didn't feel like I was watching something big because these are voices that I'm not used to. There didn't, there wasn't a credibility behind it because I just heard Beth Mowens calling NFL games last month, right? So to me, it, it lacked a little bit of that credibility factor, a little bit of that, okay, these are experts in the sport. I think particularly when you have some of the, and I'll use air quotes niche here, and I don't mean to offend anybody by that, but the, the non-mainstream sports, right? We know football, basketball, right? those are your sports. To me, I need credibility in my booth because it's a sport I don't know as well. And I want to learn as much as I can from people who cover it inside and out. And that's where I think the Beth Mowen stuff comes a little bit short for me because I don't know that she's that person. Well, I mean, in fairness to her, she's done softball. I mean, been a part of it for 20, 30 plus years. And she does do regular season games and all that. But with that three, they used to do games together all the time. Now they don't for various reasons. They have different obligations. But I think you bring up an interesting point about the local. I think that's a problem in a lot of sports, right? Like you and I are Heat fans. Like Eric Reed doesn't do playoffs after the first round. So you're kind of watching the national and now you're like, oh, I don't know. And baseball is a big, big story on that. And wait till you see Omaha this week, because I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, I mean, Ravich and Eduardo Perez are going to slide in with Kyle Peterson to do the handful of World Series games they do every year when they don't do other games. So um, it's an interesting dynamic there uh, with softball, but they have done the games for so long, but I agree with you. I think in broadcasting, I don't think you can just pick it up at the end and do a couple games. I think it's very hard. I think you have to build chemistry over games during the season. Not, it's. I get it that you've worked with somebody for many years, but that first couple of games, you still got to get the back to the hang of things. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We'll see what they do. Yeah, it, it is an interesting aspect, and you know, and and you know, maybe the, the you know the three person booth is is a, a bit of an ask too. Uh, as far as that goes, because I mean, college softball, I mean, unlike baseball, there's not a lot of, they don't have the same kind of downtime. Oh, I couldn't, I, if somebody's done, I've, I can't even imagine how I would handle a three person booth for softball because it's too fast, really fast. Um, it goes by quick. Like the only sport I think you can get away with it is baseball. I, you know, and I thought the best three man booth I ever saw in baseball was when Al Michaels with, with Tim McCarver and Jim Palmer on ABC. Uh, because you have enough dead time in baseball to have conversations and everybody can make their points. You're right. It's a challenge in softball, and some would argue it's a challenge in other sports. Yeah, no question about that. Um, so uh, you mentioned the College uh, Baseball World Series. Uh, that's uh, about to get underway, and uh, we've had you know the, the regional, super regional action. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, ESPN has done some remote broadcasts in relation to uh, to that during the postseason they did in some of the regionals i think all of the super regionals were on site but i'm not sure it's very interesting and i picked up on this because you're you're i could say he's your friend because you guys you've had him on the show and you talk all the time on twitter which i'm envious which is tim brando every year there you go see <laughs> tim brando every year you can count on it during the college baseball regionals, he pumps up their baseball house, the most underrated sport and everything. And then he kind of makes this comment about, you know, softball is past it. But then he stops himself. He's like, oh, hey, nothing wrong with that. They're great. But, 
man, we could do more with baseball. And then you usually chime in with a tweet about, oh, I love it. You know, so I enjoy that, first of all. But I found it interesting because I, I used to grow up a big college baseball guy myself. Like regional weekend was my favorite growing up. Now, I admit, since softball kind of hijacked me, I have a different perspective. But I watched a lot of the college baseball supers this weekend. And maybe this is just me. I'm curious what you both think. I found myself going from softball to baseball. Like if I was going from a driving 100 miles an hour on an expressway to driving 30 miles an hour on a, on a, on a street, that's how I felt. It was a drastic change for me. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why softball is popular and maybe baseball isn't as college baseball isn't as popular as Tim would like to like it to be. I know you're a big fan, Jeff. I'm curious your both your thoughts since you're both more neutral as far as the two sports are concerned. Well, I'll tell you, interestingly enough, you know, and I had actually tweeted back to Tim was to say, well, what college baseball has to do is not fall into the same trap as MLB with four hour games. Uh, I think that's a big, big part of the problem. The other aspect is, you know, in the regionals and in, in, you can probably speak to seeding much better than I can, but there were a lot of blowouts and a lot of double digit run games that took about, forever. A lot of football scores. Too. Yes. Yeah. We had a 26, 24 game. You know, right, like, I mean, nobody, a 29, 15 game. Like yeah. Oklahoma state was down like 12, nothing and came back to win. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Nobody, can anybody pitch in college baseball? And like, these games are taking forever. Yeah, uh, see, yeah, see now, now, now in the super regionals, the scores got a little bit more, you know, back to normal. So, you know, so maybe there's some issues with uh, with uh, with the quality in in the regional round. I, I don't know, but uh, I think that's a that's a big challenge. Yeah, I think the larger point, Eric, like I said, I wasn't a softball watcher by any stretch. These last couple of seasons, there's more excitement in softball, hands down, in my opinion, hands down. And I think one of the challenges you have is, and you saw the, you saw this at UCF, you saw this in, and when UCF went to Oklahoma, you saw in the College World Series, the fans are on top of you. They're screaming, they're yelling. It's an, it's an intimate atmosphere. You feel that energy through the TV at times. College baseball, you got bigger stadiums, smaller crowds, slower pace of play. It just feels like there isn't as much oomph, as much juice particularly when you've got these teams and these games that are 13-2, and uh, It just doesn't have that same, you know, that same ump. I think the, the, the saddest commentary I would tell you here is the biggest news story out of college, you know, World Series weekend and regional, super regionals announcer-wise was Troy Eklund essentially accusing a right. Tennessee guy of being on steroids while he was calling another game that he wasn't even, Tennessee wasn't involved in. That was the biggest regional. thing we heard. Uh, and, and that was the biggest story you heard. So I think, I think I agree with all of you. I think the, the atmosphere of softball has overtaken and you watch it on TV, particularly that TV broadcast uh, is, is, is the energy is just there. Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't feel that a lot in watching uh, the parts of the college baseball, the college world series that I did. Well, if somebody, if somebody brought this up to me, uh, softball is a heck of a social media sport. When something's happening, you see trending, right? It goes viral. I've benefited from that. So full disclosure, many times on social media, as Adam knows, you guys know, you never see baseball trending college baseball on social media ever unless it's a tennessee player or the head coach tony vitello flipping somebody out uh, flipping them off like <laughs> that's it i i think that's also a big part of it like softball man people trend people are hey you see what's going on yeah oklahoma jocelyn allo can anybody name me a call who's the best college baseball player right now yeah 
Well, you know, and I think just, you know, not just the atmosphere of the fans, but the atmosphere of the teams is just such a happy sport. You know, you look at, you know, at the teams and how they chant and cheer throughout the course of the game. Even, you know, the, the teams that are getting their brains beat out by Oklahoma <laughs> are, are still smiling and having a good time. Right. Right. So, oh, you're right. They have no choice to not want Jeff. <laughs> Trust me on that. The other thing is, do we know, like, the college baseball booth is fascinating. Like, you know, Adam mentioned Robert. How many people even knew who that was? Until that happened, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's and it's weird, like, like for example, like they put Ravi. I understand you're bringing in your big names for the World Series. I get all that, but like, I'm a huge Clay Madvik fan who's been doing games forever. I think he should get higher games in college baseball. But I feel now that his role is, hey, let's put him in with the rookie analyst. Like he was working with Greg Olson. I had no idea Greg Olson was even a broadcaster. Like, where did that come from? Like, where did he get these guys? And it was kind of interesting. Uh, from a booth standpoint, and you're right, Jeff. They a lot of their stuff was remote, especially in the regionals. Uh, softball feels like it's a better produced presentation. It just looks feels bigger on television. Part of that is what Adam described is the atmosphere. But I do think the pace of play, like I think Major League Baseball's pace of play is way better than college baseball, just from watching both. Eric, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I had a game on the other day, and Gabby Sanchez was the announcer. And I was like, "That's where Gabby Sanchez yeah. went." I had no clue where he went, where, where he was up to these days. It was fan, it was fascinating to see. Right. If you want to find obscure baseball people, where they end, where they <laughs> landed, probably in a re, super regional, regional. Yeah. So, Elo, have you heard John Schifrin's home run call? Of the which one? Any, any. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The adios. Adios. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he tries to do the soccer announcer version version yeah. of that it's adios right Not yeah either. it doesn't work <laughs> no that's too much that's uh no i tried that a couple years ago when we had jasmine esparza and i would go like the spanish word there like santa maria or adios but no nah, it just didn't work oh that would be a, but you said it just like john miller doing that <laughs> oh, wow, John Miller. I'll take that as a comment. I love John Miller. Yeah, because he likes to throw those in there every now and then. That's true. What would, you, what would either of you do if Joe Buck was at the College World Series? Oh, what would we say? Why did he pick that to come back to a ball thing? <laughs> what a weird choice. No, I'm not going to do MLB. I'm just going to do pop in for the College World Series. That would be uh, that'd be a little weird. That's like when he did the PUS Open. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to be doing obscure things right now. Maybe that's his new thing is he's going to try everything. He you know, might unique, be doing right? something like that with his projects there. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of weird. And, you know, like I said, look, there's some good baseball atmospheres like Tennessee, ECU both had great atmospheres. But like Tom Hart's doing with is working with Kyle Peterson for most of the season. But then they're going to get split up at the World Series. <laughs> like to your point, Adam, now we're going to, you know, it's just weird. The whole yeah. thing's weird. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So uh, I know you guys are, are have, have followed the NBA playoffs very closely and whatnot. Of course, uh, what I found interesting, uh, you know, Mike Breen had to miss uh, some of the finals action, the lead voice for uh, ESPN. And I, you know, and, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, he really has been the guy, I think, that succeeded Marv as the voice of the NBA. Uh, you know, he was Marv's understudy at NBC for a long time. And, you know, he's been doing this at uh, ESPN and ABC for a long time. So that's a tough blow for a network, I think, to have your 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 top play-by-play guy miss some action uh, as far as that goes. What was it? Mark Jones took his place. And, uh, yep. and, and I think Mark Jones is kind of one of those polarizing guys. People either really like him or they really don't. Uh, give me your take. 
Yeah, I think for every for the the announcer doesn't make the game crowd. I submit to you as evidence the the game game one of the NBA Finals because it felt like without Mike Breen there, it did not feel like the big game you thought it would. It just it just didn't. And then this is, you know, and I understand that the action is the action, right? But for all those who say the announcer doesn't matter, I submit to you as evidence these games. Um, I like Mark Jones. He's a Miami guy. I, I want to root for Mark Jones. I think he's called the, the Kings games now as their play-by-play guy. It, it just didn't, it didn't work for me. And Hey, the other item, I think we should give a medal to Mark uh, Jackson for surviving what has to be the, the two closest COVID contacts of all time and still uh, championing his way through those games. But um, I, Mark Jones wasn't it for me. I, I would have gone Dave Pash on that assignment personally. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that would have been a, a better fit. The other item too is, is where I think the misstep is. I don't know that Mark Jackson can be a standalone booth. I feel like he needs that third person, that Jeff Van Gundy. I know you're not going to find a Van Gundy, but I'm going to throw a crazy one out there. If you had told me that booth for game one and game two, whatever it was, was going to be Dave Pash, Mark Jackson, and Hubie Brown, I'd have been all in on that. I think that would have been an, actually a fantastic booth. That would have been some fun. That would have given you a little bit of reverence there. I, again, nothing against Mark Jones. It just didn't work for me. Him and Mark Jackson just didn't work as a booth. Either a third person in there, and again, I think I would have gone Dave Pasch over uh, over Mark Jones. That's just that's just my stylistic like. I just don't think those two meshed well together, particularly in as big a game as that was. The problem was Mark Jones is the number two guy. So what do you get? You're, you're, now you're like, hey, let's go to the number three guy. You're like kind of like <laughs> college football. Like, yeah, we have a backup quarterback, but let's really bring out our third stringer. Um, yeah, that was weird. I agree with you. That's when you know a play-by-play. That's how you value them is do you miss them when they're not on the air? Uh, I got a lot of messages when I wasn't on the air. People were tuning into the softball. And I think it was the same way with Mike Breen. I think – that's why he was an icon. He's one of the top greats of all time. He won the Emmy this year for best play-by-play guy. And I think you saw what he's meant because he knows how to control Van Gundy and Jackson, that combo, which is not easy. Again, in a three-man booth, he makes it work. Mark Jones was put in a, really, to me, in a, a situation to where he was going to fail, probably, because we're going to compare him to Mike Breen. That's not really fair to him. He was put in a tough spot, but it was missing something there. And it's just, yeah, him and Mark Jack. I mean, it was just a weird bad luck for ESPN there. Like, that's just, it's just a weird situation uh, from that standpoint. And yeah, it, it kind of gave the finals kind of a quirky start. And, uh, but I think people, more people appreciate Mike Breen now afterwards. And it's an interesting question is like, should, should Mark Jones be your number two guy now? Maybe, you know, do networks take that? Like TNT, for example. If this would have happened on TNT, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. Oh, that'd right? be like, sad. Yeah. Right. Like if Harlan misses the game, you got Iron Eagle. You I got Brian right Anderson. There, yep. ESPN, it just so happens that's the one that it happened to. Maybe ESPN and, should have called TNT. <laughs> you know, it's funny you laughed. There was a part of me that wondered if this happened last year, would they have called TNT and say, hey, we want Marv to fill in? Ooh. Just for, what do you think? Do you think they pulled? Remember they did that a few years ago with Craig Sager? Yeah. They brought yeah. him in for a game to, hey, so he could say he worked the finals. It was Marv's last game last year. If Breen's out, do you call and say, just for sentimental, for one game, hey, Marv, can you fill in? I feel like they might. I think that would have. I know Marv wasn't. I know Adam's shaking his head because I know Marv was not at his best. But for sentimental, I mean, that would have been a hell of a send off. 
if you tell me if Mike Breen isn't there and you've got Marv, I'd have been okay with that. There's no downside as I think through this. Or what's the downside? It's not like he's going to be shilling, you know, a TNT products on air or something like that. There's no downside. He's another legendary voice, right? It would have been at least you would have gotten people to tune in to, to, to reminisce and hear Marv, you know, one more time with the yes, you know, you, you would have, you would have gotten more eyeballs and people being like, what's going on with Mark Jackson and, and, and Mark, like that would have been probably a better, a better combo for sure. Um, I don't know where Mark was at these days, but that would have been a better combo for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would have been an intriguing maneuver if they could have been able to call Turner and say, let's borrow one of your guys just to, just to, just for a, for a game or two. Uh, but Make yeah, a trade. It, like do a trade. Hey, we'll use your guy for two games and in return, we'll give you this guy and future considerations. You know, we'll give you a, you know, uh, maybe, maybe give you a big 10 football game down the road. Right. <laughs> if, if Joe Buck can get traded for a, Big 10 football game. You're telling me we can't do a trade for a play-by-play guy on a, on a short notice here? Yeah, no, it can all, it can all be done. That's for sure. So, uh, man, I, we covered a lot of ground here, guys, as always. And, and as always, I appreciate you being here. So uh, let me uh, let you give your shameless plugs before uh, we close the proceedings. I will start, and I have to have a, I have an admission to make. I've actually liked the uh, ESPN pregame NBA this year. Shh, don't kill me. I kind of liked it. I kind of been okay with it. I'm okay with it. You know, it, it's, you know, Greeny, I don't know about Greeny. Stephen A. I, oh. I, I, it's, it's better than what they've had. I'm just saying. Uh. I've watched more than usual. But anyway, uh, Eric Lopez Elo is my Twitter account. Follow me there. Uh, you know, Black and Gold Banneret. We cover a lot of UCF stuff, obviously in the circle, softball stuff, do play by play stuff. So. And I'll be watching basketball and the NHL, which is a big winner on ESPN, by the way. That's been a big winner for the sport. It feels bigger event. MLS, you might take notes there after your deal with Apple, but we'll, we'll discuss that another time. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how it stopped it. Eric got in like three hot takes, a point, and a plug all in that same sentence there. Uh, you can find all of my work at Sons UCF on uh, all your social media stuff. We do podcast Tuesday, live show Thursday. Uh, follow our YouTube channel at Sons UCF to get all that stuff. Websites, twonightsmedia.com, where we do zero writing, but one day maybe we will. So make sure you give us a follow. We're all UCF all the time. And no hot takes. <laughs> Unless Mike's on. And then it's, it's nothing about hot takes. <laughs> hot takes and Trace putting his hands in his head trying to figure out how to stop the hot takes. <laughs> there you go. Well, you guys both do excellent work uh, in your endeavors as well. And I appreciate you uh, contributing to my media spotlight special once again. And uh, appreciate you being here. Anytime, Jeff. I'm going to go watch some live golf. I'll see you guys. <laughs> And we'll be right back to uh, close things out with the TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus.
And that theme is from Downtown Abbey, a British historical drama set in the early 20th century, created and co-written by Julian Fellows, first aired in the UK on ITV in September 2010, and then in the US on PBS, which supported production of the series as part of Masterpiece Classic, and that started in January 2011. Six seasons overall, set on the fictional Yorkshire country estate of downtown Abbey between 1912 and 1926, depicting the lives of the aristocratic Crawley family and their domestic servants in the post-Edwardian era, the great events of time having an effect on their lives and the British social hierarchy. Events depicted throughout the series include news of the sinking of the Titanic in the first series, of season one, the outbreak of the First World War, the Spanish influenza pandemic, the Marconi scandal, the Irish War of Independence, uh, which led to the formation of the Irish Free State in season three, the teapot, the teapot dome scandal in season four, the British general election of 1923, and Beer Hall Putsch in the fifth season. And the sixth and final series introduced the rising of the working class during the interwar period and hints at the eventual decline of British aristocracy so downtown abbey our tv theme for this week and with that we are done here thanks for listening to jeff allen sports talk follow jeff on twitter at jeff allen underscore 88 on facebook at jeff allen 88 and the website jeff allen sports and you can reach out to the show anytime by email jeff allen sports talk at gmail.com Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.